This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 519 for August 3rd, 2016. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast, everyone. I'm Glenn Fleischman, your host, a senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me back from the wilds of the islands and uh, my first state, <laughs> Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Did you see whales? I didn't see any whales. I saw a lot of pictures of whales. Pictures of whales. I've heard of whales. No, wait, I think we were on the wrong side of the island. I mean, you could you could get like a charter and go out and do some whale watching, but we did not this I'm, time. Next time for sure. All you had was all the beauty in the world, though. That's uh, it was so beautiful, and it stayed out. It stayed light forever. And then when it finally got dark, the water was doing that cool bioluminescent thing that I've never seen in person before. I've never seen so that. That's cool. I was like a little kid with just handfuls of sand, like chucking them in the water. It was so much fun. I knew a fellow who was a submariner in the nuclear Navy, and he said he was out once, and he uh, was on periscope duty, and he'd never his first time out in the ocean and uh, everything was luminescing around him. And he said, oh, wow, the calm was on. So everyone heard him. And he said that was at the beginning of his three-month stint. So he never lived that down. <laughs> I still think it's okay to it express the It is an oh, wonder. wow moment, though. I mean, oh, I don't blame him. It's really freaking cool. The ocean lights up. Why? We don't know. This podcast isn't about that, but now I want it to be. Um, <laughs> also, also joining us this week are Gene McDonald, the founder of App Camp for Girls. Hello, Gene. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Susie. Hello. Hey, thanks for being here. Yeah, and Gray Ostin, the Director of Curriculum and Engineering for App Camp for Girls. Hello, Gray. Hey, everyone. Wonderful Hi. to have you here. We're going to be talking about App Camp for Girls in just a moment. We're going to start with a little bit of news. As we often, I don't know if we complain about it or it's just a reality, it can be quiet over the summer. That's That's a good thing, though, isn't it, Susie, when there's not like this overwhelming. Now that the beta program is going on, there's a little more action in the summer, which I kind of like. And then it lets us, you know, because it's all about me, um, get kind of <laughs> set up for the for the zaniness that is the fall where they push out all the operating systems and some giant new products all within, you know, the space of a couple of weeks. Four at once. I think this is the first time they're going to put out, isn't this the first time they're putting out all four at the same time? If they put them all out the same day, that's going to be quite a day. Yeah, because TVOS I'm, I'm going to need a drink at the end of that day. The, first, the fourth generation Apple TV didn't ship till October last year. Yeah. So, yes, and watchOS 2. Uh, they could be, it could be within yeah. the space of like two days maybe. Oh, like, my we'll goodness. see. We'll see. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be fun. Um, Yay. So new betas are out. And the betas all come out the same day. Well, that's true. Yeah, I, so they're I kind expect, of setting themselves up for that. Well, stuff is all interconnected now too. You need uh, so connected WatchOS three to do certain things, and without yeah, everyone's going to iOS ten to get WatchOS three. You have all these people staring at their Apple watches while they wait for the update to not happen. Uh, sorry, it's true, but just true. remember to carry around your charger because that I mean the Apple Watch has been on a little over a year, and I've still never gotten an update like right when it's come out because you have to have your charger with you, and who carries their Apple Watch charger? Nobody. Oh, I so. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, with every operating system release comes controversy. And of course, the controversy with this beta is emoji, new emoji. Apple has redrawn is that controversial? them. It's controversial. You saw the gun story, right? I'm sorry, you were on vacation. Oh, the guns thing. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, it's, uh, catch us up in case you've been on vacation. Someone's been on vacation and didn't get the whole thing. Well, Apple redrew the gun emoji as a water pistol with a red tip, which is that's a whole. We will not get into the whole political thing there, but uh, a non like a, a toys. Not this doesn't when we were kids, of course, but toys have to have. Yeah, it's like a lime green kind of yeah, 50s looking water pistol with a red tip 
indicated is not a gun. So that's like it's like a water pistol that's meant to look more like a ray gun, yeah, like from a cartoon than an actual like revolver kind of pistol. And I believe it was Swift on Security, the Twitter account that is a parody of Taylor Swift as an infosec expert, which is excellent. Love you should follow that one. Uh, Swift on Security said, uh, "Yeah, this is great because you then will text someone what you think is a water pistol, and they'll receive a gun." Yes, we've had we've, <laughs> we've, we've talked about this before. How emoji can get lost in translation, like the hair flip one, which I guess is information desk or something, looks like a weird blob wearing a hat on Android, and no one gets that it's you flipping your hair at them. So it's hilarious. Yeah, it's that that's going to be a problem. It is, but so uh, I'm working actually on a story as we record this about uh, some of the new emoji, and and I, I feel like the new drawings they're so much more cartoony and not iconic that they cross in this uncanny uncanny valley. It's a little weird. And that's um, what I always hated about the Android ones. They're yeah, way more cartoony, they're like specific. It's like that is someone's specific face. Um, I also have an inclusiveness issue, which is all the icons have button noses. I'm like, I don't have a button nose. I'm not a wasp. I'm sorry. I'm not. So I'm like, it has these little cute button noses. And I'm like, but when the drawings are more, uh, they're, they're not as specific when they're like more generic, they don't have the sense of that being a person. But now the drawings are much more detailed. I'm like, well, you're sort of conforming a certain facial type and then they have skin tones, but it's the same nose, you know, it's the same face. So. But the fun know. part is we're getting some more gender parody here. Yes. There's new professions and then um, some of the existing kind of activity ones that now are all just little dudes. Those will have uh, 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 men and women that you can choose from. And then the new professions all come in men and women. So that's like teacher, scientist, cook, and healthcare worker. So those are all new and they'll have, they'll have men and women. So that's kind of cool. You can, you know, you get a little more choice there. And uh, unrelated to the beta release, we also have a new Apple TV remote app came out of nowhere. I thought the expectation was that was going to ship with tvOS 10 in the fall, that we weren't going to see it. But it's out. It works with iOS 9.3, works with the current tvOS OS, and it also works with um, the second and third generation Apple TVs as well. It doesn't control iTunes, which is the old remote app, which is still available, does. Um, But it's kind of like a big Siri remote on your phone. And uh, no iPad version yet. You know, it's just the... The uh, scaled up one, but um, that's kind of nice. Working so far, I haven't tried it yet. It's good. It's a little frustrating because the button layout is different, so it's not an exact analog of the Siri remote. And the menu button is huge. It has a game controller mode, and they call it you know game mode. You tap a little game controller icon, and then it gives you A, B, X, Y buttons, uh, but in a big touchpad, so you can hold it in landscape orientation like a game controller. But I tried a bunch of games with it. I don't feel like. The games are recognizing game mode as uh, just a Siri remote, so I'm not sure if developers have to now update to support game mode in the new app to get full advantage out of it. So we'll see. Um, it's all a little confusing, but it's be- definitely enormously better, though. I mean, you can do Siri. You hold down the Siri button. It doesn't use iOS Siri. You hold down the Siri button on the app, and it transfers your audio, I think, to the Apple TV for processing and back, mm-hmm. which is wacky, but... Uh, and then finally, last bit of news before we get into our main topic here, uh, Apple sold a billion phones so far. Hey, cool. 
Uh, oh, and it released earnings uh, <laughs> last week. It's been almost a week because I think the earnings got released after we recorded. And um, yeah, yeah, the earnings were the earnings call was the same day that we recorded, so we missed. We were, we talked about moving the podcast, and then we sort of forgot. So well, it wasn't, I don't <laughs> think the earnings were profound days. enough. It seems like things are kind of tooling along, like sales are slowing or growth is slowing. I should say, um, not necessarily uh, the sales Everything numbers were expected. Down, but iPad, all the unit sales were down, but iPad revenue was up because the iPad average selling price was up a little oh, yeah. bit because of all those shiny iPads Pro. iPads Pro. <laughs> People yeah. are buying, and they, you know, they start at five ninety nine instead of. Uh, four ninety nine. So I finally broke down and got one. I needed to do some stuff on a sixty four bit iPad. I was curious the drawing features, and I just I had to get one because my current iPad. Did you get the little pro. I got a little pro. The I had I the iPad four, pro. which is a great model, but it's pre. Uh, it's before the A seven, I think it is. So it's thirty two bits uh, processor. Uh, it won't run Swift Playground. Won't do a bunch of stuff, and it's um. But it's a great. The iPad four is four years old, and it's still. Terrific. So I had, I'm in the, the classic iPad owner quandary. I had no reason to upgrade except I need to test and use newer apps. So that's what are got you me over the hump. Are you going to sell it or are you going to give it to one of your kids? I don't know. I had, I, I've owned four iPads. I sold one to a neighbor who wanted to switch from like this weird dial up mail system she had, a uh, dedicated device. So she still has that, I believe, with a keyboard attached. We have an iPad 2, the kids to use. I've got an iPad 4, and I got the iPad Pro. They just keep working. That's the thing with the iPads. They don't seem to break very much. They really don't. It's crazy. Uh, well, and having mentioned Swift Play Playgrounds, perfect transition into our guests, Gene and Gray. Thank you for being with us to talk about this wonderful program. How many iPads program. have you guys broken at App Camp for Girls? <laughs> <laughs> Zero. Zero. Yeah, we yay. haven't broken any equipment. <laughs> That's, That's unbelievable. Awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, I can't believe that at least one of the iP iPads hasn't gotten, or iPods hasn't gotten dropped. Uh, we had uh, Fraser Spears on a few weeks ago to talk a bit about uh, his first impressions of Swift Playgrounds. You know, he's the um, head of secondary. I think it's his title. He's a, a computer uh, programmer guy who is in uh, in Scotland and um, runs the uh, and kind of is one of the pioneers in using iPads in education. He like as soon as they were released, they started buying them, and even though you couldn't configure them on mass and. Uh, they have very good luck as well. I mean, they've had hundreds and hundreds of iPads cycle through their systems and uh, not really in problems. But let's talk about AppGamp for Girls. Let's not talk, <laughs> talk about Scotland. <laughs> we won't talk about Scotland for once. So, um, Gene, I've known you for years and years because you were you were one of the faces of smile, let's say. Um, you were the person – you were the happy person we dealt with all the time in press uh, for PDF Pen Pro and, and other software from our friends at Smile. And uh, – and then all of a sudden, uh, you had what I think, uh, I don't know if this is like a shakubuku moment. You had this, uh, it was a life-changing experience. Your life certainly changed. What provoked you to start this new venture, start AppCamp app for Girls? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those, you know, oh my God, I, I suddenly see this and now I can't unsee it. And it was at WWDC because... I was pr well aware that there were mostly men in the in the industry that I was in, but actually seeing it at um, the first dub dub I went to as a attendee was um, 2010, and I was just so excited to be there. I was really not paying attention. <laughs> I think it was like such a thrill to finally be on the inside of Moscone. Um, but the second year, I started, you know, making mental notes of like, wow, I'm in a room and there are I don't see any women. I'm going to have to get up and walk around to count the women in the room of, a, you know, a room full of like 500 developers or more. And I did find out 
um, somebody told me that um, there were 250 women at that dub dub, um, which out of 5,000 attendees is a nice round 5%. I had no idea it was that few and um, such a low percentage. And it just really um, struck me because, you know, there's always been this debate, um, not necessarily good debate or a well-grounded in facts debate about whether girls want to be in science and technology, or maybe they're not, their brains are more interested in the soft sciences or whatever. Uh, however you see it, um, or whatever the issue is, it just struck me, it shouldn't be 5%, you know, um, it, it should be higher than this. And so um, I had been involved previously as a uh, volunteer and board member at the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, which uh, rock and roll is another notoriously male-dominated industry. And um, I saw how girls really came alive when they came to a program where they were free to become rock and rollers themselves and to work with um, women and uh, people who were non-conforming gender, trans um uh, gender fluid folks who um, provided role models for for an area that they had never really seen themselves in. And a lot of the girls actually formed bands that they stayed in and continued with after camp was over. Um, the same thing happened to me because I did go to the Ladies Rock Camp program and I had never played electric, electric guitar before and I, it was a revelation to me. And I, as a kid, I always thought electric guitars were for boys. Um, so I, I thought, what if we could do something like rock camp, but for software development and bring girls in who maybe haven't really thought about becoming software developers, um, who haven't seen themselves in that role and show them that it's actually doable. It's fun. It's not crazy hard. Um, as sometimes you get the idea that it is, it's, um, that they could get started with it and, and also see people like themselves in the roles. Um, all of our volunteers are in the software business, either as developers or um, customer support, um, web, de web developers, um, people like me who've been in marketing and project management and such. So, uh, th so that's where the idea came from. Um, and making a short story long. <laughs> no, I think it's well. I also think it's great that that um, I noticed just looking over the bios of folks that you're not. You know, this is a, a the camp isn't. We're going to turn out a new generation of programmers per se, even though the kids learn to code and, and produce an app, but that you have people from a lot of different backgrounds that you're providing mentorship across a range because not everyone's going to be a coder. Even if they love to code, may not turn out to be what they want. Um, exposure to coding is a great thing, no matter, we've been talking about that, Susie and I, in it's recent like a podcasts. fun, safe space to learn something new and try something new and, you know, see what you can do. It's really cool. Yeah, and even if it's not your lifelong career, then you also, around you, or all these people found other things in the software industry they find meaningful or ways to start companies or build things. Um, well, I, you know, I, uh, I, I'm i curious too, you know, you started this, um, I remember when you launched the campaign and I felt like the immediate response, of course, everyone you and I both know are great people, right? That's the thing. But um, <laughs> the immediate response <laughs> from the community that I feel like I'm surrounded by, I'm not a, I'm not a programmer, not part of the, you know, kind of on the reporter side, do a little programming and work with different 
um, Mac and Apple sites, uh, I felt the response was like instantaneous, like, oh, yeah, yeah, this needs to happen. What do we do? Did you get that? I mean, I'm looking on the outside. Did you have that feeling when, when you announced your plans for the first iteration of this? Um, yeah, we, we definitely did. In fact, we, um, when the, we, we made the big announcement as an Indiegogo campaign that in 2013. So before we had the first full session of camp, we had done, uh, Gray and I had done a alpha camp with the, with three girls during spring break to test out some of our ideas. But we, um, we did this Indiegogo campaign that had a, goal of $50,000. And that goal was met in three days. And we had no idea that that was going to happen. That blew us away. It was pretty slick. It felt like there was a pent up demand for something people didn't know didn't exist. Um, and I know, I mean, there's this like a, a trope that, or not a trope, but there's an issue that goes around that men often only become aware of problems related to, to people who aren't men when they have, you know, a daughter. Um, they have daughters, yeah. Yeah, and then suddenly they can. I've heard that. I don't know yeah. if I believe. I've heard that. <laughs> I think it depends on the people involved, but also I definitely hear that a lot, and it's like things are cast in those terms. But did you, I mean? I'm curious about the response you got because because so many programmers um, in our field, particularly, are male. Uh, did you get that kind of response? Like, uh, did people have that like a personal connection, or was it a more like social? Like, oh my gosh, I didn't didn't even know this was going on. Um, I think there was this, the personal connection for sure, because we did see, you know, comments and tweets to the effect of this is something I want my daughter to be able to go to. And that's great. Um, but we also saw a lot of people who said, I want to have my industry more balanced by gender. I don't even like working in a field where it's mostly men and I'm a man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I totally I agree. See that. Well, it's the talent thing, right? This comes up all the time. If you're only recruiting from 50% or less of the population, then what? who who is being left behind unless you believe in discredited biological theories? Yeah, you get blind spots, like dumb things happen that, you know, would have been caught if someone who had any kind of different <laughs> life experience had been there to go, hey, that's not okay. So like things happen. It's it's best to have a balance. We well, all know that. And I think you look historically, there's this stat that comes up all the time is that 35% of computer science degrees awarded in the United States in the mid 1980s were to women. And it was a trend that went up. And then something happened in the mid 1980s. There's a lot of different interesting discussion about it. Um, what happened, but from that point the number went down and there's some good trends that i think are starting to emerge again but something happened when women were on parallel as women have now are the majority of people graduating uh from four-year institutions in america like by far like a few percentage points above the majority uh women receive 50 percent of all uh degrees in the science and engineering fields as a whole but that is heavily um skewed towards uh, biomedical fields apparently uh so there's something that's not gelling here Jean or Gray or both of you, have you put your finger on anything in this process of developing the camps that gives you more insight into what happened as you deal with all these, you know, younger girls, pre-college girls, um, or is it still a great mystery? Is like, or, like there's four thousand different things that are that are causing it. I do think that. Um, well, one of the things that isn't really taken into account is that the majority of people we know who are developers, I'm pretty sure don't have degrees in computer science, yeah, men or women. 
And it may be that um, to some extent, women uh, discovered that they didn't need to, they, that they preferred to major in something else. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen any, any research to that effect. But um, I think more important is what happens once they get into the field of, um, and, this, and this is maybe, you know, this is like a vicious circle. If women see that other women are dropping out of computer science or related fields because they don't feel welcome, mm-hmm. and then um, it removes some of the incentive for getting a degree in the first place. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably a factor too. I mean, like Glenn mentioned, there's probably a ton of factors, but I know that retention is is an issue, and and that's another thing where if you have more more women around or more more points of view kind of represented, maybe you're more likely to sort of find your people to kind of lean on at work, and that can you know see you through tough times. Like I, I work with a, a lot of women on our staff, and and we're we really lean on each other sometimes. You you need someone there to t- that you can say like, am I crazy? Is this Am I crazy? And 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 you need you need people around to tell you that you're not crazy. So, at least I do. Yeah, the whole shift started for me in school. I was really interested in math and science, and that was what I wanted to like study. And every every class there was a roadblock to like, oh, you can't do that because you're a woman. Oh, you can't do that because you're a woman. And it got to the point where in high school I got blocked from going into the honors classes. And at that point, like, my dad went in and yelled. My mom went in and yelled. Nobody could get anything done, even though I had, like, 98 percentile test scores. And I just said, forget it. I'm done. And I, I think, looking at my friends, at least the small, you know, sample that I have from what I could see from my perspective growing up in Georgia was that that was kind of what happened. Like, that was for boys, and the administration wasn't going to do anything to help change that. So if they had, you know, 20 spots in this class, it was going to go to the boys first. Um, So for me, like, I was done before I even got to college. And it wasn't until after I went to college that I got reinterested in, you know, tech and computer stuff and then ultimately programming. Uh, And it was because I found a niche of people that weren't saying, oh, you can't do this because you're a girl. Yeah, I think what you guys are doing is really empowering and showing people that, okay, like if, you know, if your school district doesn't understand, like, you know, that that this is important, like you don't need them. You can learn this on your own. So, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is so important because of experiences like that. I think that happens way too much. Well, it seems like you're sending ambassadors back to their classmates, too, as every girl that yeah. goes to this program, uh, even the girls who don't get into the program, the ones who apply, because I, pro- I know space is limited. And I know you've had a lot of uh, a lot of interest everywhere you're doing this. Uh, they go back and they tell their friends, this is something you can do. Look what I did. Isn't this cool? And that has a, an effect as well, I would think. Yeah. And we make it a point at the end of each um, camp, one of the things we do on the last day is we sit down and have a roundtable where all of the volunteers talk about their backgrounds and how they got to be sitting where they are at camp. Um, and it's, I think it's cool. Like every camp that we've been to, there's a whole wide range of everything from, I went, you know, to school at 18, I went to college straight out of high school and I studied computer science and that was all I did to like my story. Like I studied, uh, painting and photography and have a bachelor of fine arts and you know, we're all here doing the same things. 
That's that's how I have a I have a degree in graphic design. I'm a BA. <laughs> I got an art degree. That's why I'm a journalist because I got my degree in art. This is how. Uh, Do you find that kids kind of assume that you know if if you want to be a computer person you have to major in computer science and like like people do like what they went to college to do like if you majored in art you'll be an artist yeah the the things that i've heard them say is like that they're worried if they don't get into this class or they don't do this thing that they will mess up their careers for the rest of their lives um, oh wow I, at that age already oh, oh man yeah it's what's, horrifying what's the age Aww. group uh, i forgot now what's the age range that you accept for the program or is it flexible depending on maturity or other factors uh, it's rising. Well, Gene, I'll, I'll let you talk. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it's as um, Gray was about to say, rising eighth and ninth graders. So, girls and um, uh, kids who identify female or male trans. Like we're not limited just to to um, cis female children, um, and uh, we. Um, we ha- so we don't have an exact age because we just go by the grade. We want them to have had a certain amount of school and also have had the experience of sitting a lot. <laughs> 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 and uh, and so and going certain to- math and science classes that they get help form the basis for where the curriculum picks up. On oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, awesome. But we do. You know, sometimes there's girls who are outliers just because of you know what when their birthday was and when they got into school. Sometimes parents don't understand the form. We've had a couple of younger kids, uh, but one or two can get, get integrated um, if, you know, they, we make sure they get in with the right team. But, yes, basically it's, it's mostly girls who, who are going to be eighth and ninth graders this fall. So like 12 to 15-year-olds, like 13 to 15? Yeah, but most of them are 13 or 14. Oh, I see. Okay, so they're right. So they're past, they're like at a certain level of brain development too at that point. Yeah. I, <laughs> I have a kid, I have a, when it's about to turn uh, uh, 12, so i kind of getting the sense of where that peer group lies and what's ahead. Um, uh, so can you take us through what a what the flow of the week is like you've done this a bunch of times now in different cities um we're talking before the podcast you've done four this summer so far you've got two more uh sessions to come so uh, you you know this Mm -hmm. seems like something you probably got a flow that works so i'm curious um like how does the week progress they come in first day and we do um a bunch of icebreakers we go around have a couple games to remember names and stuff um, and then we dump them straight into building a Hello World app. It's like, first thing right off the bat, they go to snack having already built something. We do do a brainstorming exercise just to get their uh, their creative juices flowing about what kind of apps they might want to build once they're done with App Camp. Because we, we focus on um, certain apps that we've developed that can be built in a week, but we don't want to stifle their their you know, big ideas, as we call it, um, on day one without, you know, letting them have a chance to, to imagine and think big. So. Well, I should ask, so the overarching thing is at the end of the week, they're going to walk out of there with something that works. That's the idea that it's, that yeah. it's, so it's got to, yeah. it's got to shape. So you shape the week partly around the notion that they're going to finish with something that they present. Yeah. They'll actually build three apps. Oh, um, and wow. then in addition to building three apps, they will, uh, 
and they will brainstorm the big idea that Gene was talking about. And then we have a design coach come in and talk to them about storyboarding and wireframing and proper UI UX stuff. Um, and they will move through their big app idea um, with that and build storyboards and wireframes and talk about like how they would build up the UI for their big idea. Um, so they leave with kind of a roadmap. If they wanted to, um, after camp, continue pursuing that idea, they've got some some content there in addition to just some you know ideas on paper. That that is fantastic. And you know, I, since I have a tw- uh, an almost twelve year old, I know how fidgety uh, kids are. Um, I see pictures of hula hoops. So this is you. Do you get them out? Do you do you cycle them out a little to get a little running, jumping, doing stuff that's physicalization, even if it's not tied to the curriculum, and then bring them back into a classroom? Yeah. Yes, we do. We um, again, it's another um, idea that I lifted from rock and roll camp. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. Uh, they'll do hula hooping, yoga. Um, we've had a karate instructor come in and do some self-defense classes. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's basically awesome. anything we can do to get them up and moving. Yeah, it's super. Imp- I think that's fantastic and super important because, boy, do they. I mean, I look at my age. I can't even sit through after a forty-five minute lecture or listen to someone talk. I'm. I need to get up and move too. So much less the, the kids. Um, so what about some specifics? I, I, so I mean, there's a lot of different pedagogical approaches to teaching programming, and my kids have gone through um, Scratch and some. Java, Minecraft, mod stuff in after-school programs, which has been very interesting. And uh, my older son taught himself <clears throat> some JavaScript from a book. And, uh, you know, we've been talking, Susie and I have been talking in weeks past about uh, Swift Playgrounds and other tools. Uh, what is your primary approach to getting the kids? Like, I mean, how much are you teaching them about the programming as a thing? And how much are you teaching them about app development as part of that? I know they're interrelated, but you can't necessarily... You know, I know learn to program a full app, but you can learn how apps are put together. So uh, how does that balance work for you? Yeah, we kind of have a balance between getting the sort of high-level approach to like how you think about writing code. Um, And then we dip a little bit into the specifics that go into like Swift programming and syntax and things like objects and classes and functions and stuff like that. So um, we do a lot of actually like acting out. It's a little bit like drama class. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so like the first step, because a lot of these kids have never programmed before, um, is getting them to think like a programmer. And that means like in nuanced steps. And as, as you probably know, um, you can't make any assumptions whenever you're writing code. You have to break everything down into little tiny pieces and give the computer, you know, one line of instruction at a time. So uh, we do, they usually have done this in school already, so it's sort of like looping into something that they're aware of, but we'll, um, they'll program the gray bot where they'll um, <laughs> write a, a computer program that has me make a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> and when they do that, they inevitably do things like don't pull the little, you know, the little tag out of the tea bag, and then, you know, whenever I go to get the tea bag out, I have to touch the hot water. Um, and we liken that stuff to um, actual programming errors. So when they find a when we find a bug when we're running the cup of tea exercise, um, you know, if I stick my hand in the cup of hot water, that's an <laughs> exception because you burnt your hand. You can't keep making tea. <laughs> um, and if uh, if if they do something that just causes the app to continue running, but maybe isn't you know your desired effect, um, say maybe you forget to um, I don't know turn the water off. 
like it'd keep running and the sink would keep draining it, but uh, it, so it's not ideal, but nothing terrible would happen. Um, and so we'll stop and you know explain that that's a bug and you know kind of how that works. Um, from there, we'll kind of do the same thing with code. So they build a quiz app. Um, which has uh, five questions and then it grades itself and then at the end it shows you a result. Um, and so for what happens whenever you tap each one of those answers in the quiz to move on to the next question, um, we'll actually do the same thing where we act out and have them sort of pseudocode the instructions. Um, and they learn things like, um, you know, we talk about arrays and strings um, and then we liken them to real world objects like an array is like a backpack, you can put stuff in it. Um, and they'll, in moving through that, they'll learn things like, oh, you have to, you know, make an array and then you have to pass it around. And if you don't pass it to the next object, then, you know, it's not going to know what to do. Um, so th they see it all sort of happen in real life and then they start writing the code with it. And that's where we bring in playgrounds and we do a demo in playgrounds, um, talking about classes and functions and methods and strings and object types and how you, you know, add strings versus adding numbers and um, stuff like that. Uh, I'm really excited about um, the playgrounds for iPad. Uh, I think teaching Xcode and playgrounds side by side on the same machine is a little difficult because they look really similar. Um, anyway, and I worry about there being a distinction between the two. So I think having it on the iPad and having it side by side with the machine means that they can sort of uh, cowboy code out ideas on the iPad, test them, and then move them over to the computer. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. You know, we were talking about uh, Swift Playgrounds, but I know that's, you know, that's a, a next level or a, uh, an Apple's thing for the fall out in beta. You're using uh, the existing Playgrounds, which isn't, you know, doesn't have happy cartoon characters, but it's a way to, to test things out, right? That's the whole point of it. You can do uh, test code testing. Yeah. We have a cartoon character named Graybot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a live action um, <laughs> a, a demo. So I, love life. I think the kids, <laughs> the kids are are really into it uh, when, uh, and we don't use actual boiling water. Just want to point that out. I, I um. figured there might be some <laughs> simulation factor involved. In um, my kids got excited a few years ago with uh, Robot Turtles, which made by a friend of mine, Dan Shapiro, guy behind Glowforge, Glow and uh, Robot Turtle. Uh, Turtles broke down. It had that concretization of things that are often seen as very abstract, and it breaks it down. It, my, uh, kids, unfortunately, they outstripped it. They were slightly too old for it. So they're like, okay, we've done subroutines. Now what's next? It's like, oh, okay, well, now you need to, to program. Um, but I'm always curious about that abstract step. So you've concret, uh, concretized things so, people, so that the kids can – understand this direct relationship to what code's doing um how far do you get into or do you see the um i often can see like light bulbs go over people's heads when they understand what abstracting something is and, and especially in programming where you're kind of bumping up a level and suddenly you're looking down at the entire cityscape beneath you when you used to be at the street level do, do you see those moments uh among the, the kids in the program, or is it is it too short a period of time to see those sorts of leaps? Oh, we absolutely see it. Um, the whole thing is set up so that we kind of repeat ourselves. So um, the first the first day when they do the calculator in the Hello World app, they learn things about like hooking up IB outlets. They learn about conditionals. Um, they learn about functions. They learn about objects and classes. And that builds throughout the week as they're building their quiz app. And we sort of, again, in the quiz app, repeat those same basic ideas. 
And so by the time they get to the end, they usually have feature requests for the quiz that we've deliberately not built into um, the <laughs> template. <laughs> and it's something like you have, um, you get your grade for your quiz, and then you have to determine, you know, what text to display to the user um, as a result of that numerical value grade. Um, and so they, they learn about switch statements, and they figure out how those work. And so they're using that grade to move through a switch statement to pick the text to show, and then stuffing it in a label. And um, so normally they want to do something like display a different image in the results in addition to the label. So they have the template right there, the you know, pseudocode of uh, get, the, get the grade, figure out which thing you need, and then stuff it into something in the interface is already there. Um, and so it, typically by the end of the week, you know, they'll say, I want to do this thing. And you're like, great. How do you think you'd do it? Okay. Look at that code. <laughs> and, and then they'll, they'll look it over and they're like, oh, wait, I just do this with an image. And you're like, yeah. And then it's just an issue of syntax of like, okay, well, when you make a string, you put it in quotes, but when you make a UI image, you say, you know, UI image dot blah, blah, blah. Um, and so then we're just really walking them through like the syntaxy details. Um, but they're, um, and so we'll have them with anything that they're writing, um, pseudocode out what they want to do in the steps. If they're not sure, then we'll actually have them act through that, those steps and then they'll type out the syntax. Um, another thing that we'll do is, um, if they do leave a step out or something, um, not, not tell them and have them build and run and then see it fail and then ask them what they think is wrong. Um, and so they're putting all of these pieces together. We're just giving them a box of Legos and saying, you know, go have fun. So that seems like a really, you know, a, a evolved approach that you've come up with. How much has that changed from the early days? Um, you, this is the fourth summer, right? 13, 13 14, 15, 16. Uh, and Gene, I remember you even ran a kind of beta test uh, for the program when it first launched. How much have you had to adapt what you're doing to fit uh, how you've discovered kids learn this? Well, I mean, there's a there's a adapt, adaptations we've made for the kids, and also just overall, you know, real the realities of running the program. So initially, when I envisioned what the program would look like, I imagined all our volunteers would be iOS developers, just like in Rock Camp, all the volunteers are musicians, and it's just not feasible. There aren't that many women and um, people, other people, non-men who can, uh, non-cis men who are available as, as, as programmers or as, you know, iOS developers specifically. I thought that everybody like they do at Rock Camp could write their own app and, um, you know, come up obviously with a very simple idea and figure it out by the end of the week and make it into an app. And I also had this really crazy idea that somehow we'd get them into the app store by the end of the week. I, I mean, I knew that wasn't realistic, but I thought I would try to get Apple to go along with that. Anyway, so none of that has happened. <laughs> but in fact, what, you know, what we have instead is a, a volunteer team led by Gray, who is our, our lead develop has been our lead developer since the beginning for, for our Portland camps. And then for the whole, um, all the camps, uh, Gray is the person who who manages and the curriculum and leads the volunteers in teaching it. And we our volunteers are people who are good at software, but not necessarily iOS developers. Um, we've had programmers who knew other languages or testers or um, uh, 
like I said, customer support people, anybody who is willing to like get down with the kids and learn um, the Xcode uh, lessons that we teach along with Gray or whoever is the lead developer at that session. And what's been really incredible is that what, and totally un, unforeseen by me is that the volunteers have themselves become a community of people supporting each other to help them in their tech careers. And some who were not iOS developers now are iOS developers as a result of having gone through AppCamp for Girls. So cool. so it's one of the things I like to tell people when I you know, talk about how to make something you know happen if you have a big idea how to how to execute it is like don't be afraid that the the idea that you had doesn't turn out exactly the way you had in mind because there's a good chance that it will be even better <laughs> if you just go with the flow and adapt to what the realities are so uh, so definitely from a um, uh, the point of view of our mission to which is to um, bring gender balance to the tech industry, we are already accomplishing that even before any of our kids have graduated from high school because um, we have this kind of parallel program of, of adults who are learning just by being part of App Camp and also having a community. So we're, we have a very active Slack um, and uh, we, we support each other and, you know, we go to conferences together and there's been like 12 to 15 of us at the last two WWDCs, either at, at DubDub itself or at AltConf four layers. And when we bring everybody together, it's just very exciting to have that large group of women in one place um, uh, that we did never, you know, I never experienced when I first started um, to go to DubDub. In fact, I met Gray at Dub Dub in 2012 at a lunch for women at Dub Dub DC, and that group was maybe 30 people total. So I think pretty soon we're going to have 30, you know, App Camp related um, people can get together and have lunch at, at Dub Dub DC, and that's exciting. I was thinking too that in another three or four years, that your first class of girls will be women, will be oh, adults, yeah. or uh, will be adults at least. And uh, that suddenly you have, um, you know, and every year that goes by as the programs increase, you're going to have dozens and eventually hundreds of people mm-hmm. who graduated from the program out spreading out, whether or not they go into software, whether or not they become programmers, but spreading out into these mm-hmm. fields. Some will, obviously, or some will have, it'll be some aspect of what they mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. So you're building that community too. Yeah. Gene, you've been ambitious from the front. I remember talking about this way back when it's like, you know, Portland, first Portland, then the world, right? I mean, Portland, then Seattle, Vancouver, BC, uh, Phoenix, Orange County now, uh, this year, the last two, um, you have ambitions for this and, uh, rightly so. And I mean, to, to put all this effort in, to do one program in Portland, I mean, it would be terrific, but that's a lot of effort for something that you've perfect to then do just in one place. What do you see? What would you like this to be in terms of scope? Um, well, our goal has been to, we've focused a lot, Gray, especially on the, on the curriculum and making that work. Cause that's really the key. If we don't have that, 
um, than all the hula hooping and everything else. <laughs> and the field trips, awesome field trips, and set are, are will be fun, but it won't. We we really believe it's important to have that concrete accomplishment that builds comp- confidence. And um, so we've been working on what we call App Camp Kit, which is a uh, a collection of um, GitHub GitHub repositories and scripts and checklists and a handbook and equipment and such. Like, what would it take to put on App Camp in a place where neither Gray nor I even go to? So we're still working that out. Each camp, we get better um, at supporting somebody long distance. Seattle and Vancouver, BC now can run on their own. Um, they've, they've done an amazing job, both of those groups of volunteers. And that's what we hope, you know, that will happen in, in the places that are new this year, that we can um, help them put on the camp next year without our needing our actual presence. Um, the first year, I think it's important to have, um, especially Gray is a, um, a resource because the, um, the curriculum is unique and it works the way it works for a reason. And it's not a computer science class. <laughs> so I think it's important to have uh, Gray as the developer of that curriculum on hand to help the the volunteers out stepping through it. Oh, so it sounds like you need to come up with a boot camp for app camp for girls where you get people who want to essentially start these in other places. You all come together and do boot camp to yes. then boot up to take people out. But, but that's, oh, oh, I see what you did there. Sorry. <laughs> no Windows references intended. But, but I won't know. I've, I've seen other groups that they've done that where they, you know, there's, there's a, it's not franchising. And I, I should point out your nonprofit 501c3 nonprofit. People can donate. Um, we should talk about f- funding and fees in a, a second too, but um, I've definitely seen other groups that, that they want to um, create a model as opposed necessarily need to oversee every detail and some some nonprofits want to they want to have chapters that are closely affiliated others uh, want to have less oversight of the individual program they want to make sure it's pedagogically right on and run the same way so all the principles and are in accordance and people get the same output but um, you're not trying to create uh, it's not Gene McDonald's uh, you know hamburger franchise of uh, <laughs> for girls uh, couldn't, no. couldn't call it McDonald's I guess then either um, no. <laughs> But uh, let's talk a little bit about money, because uh, so as a parent of children who've gone to camps, uh, you, the pr- the price for the program is four hundred dollars for one week, which is incredibly. Susie, I hate to tell you this, as your kids get older, you'll find this out. Um, even in Seattle, four hundred dollars a week is a very reasonable thing. Pro- oh yeah, that's a good deal. Programming camps in Seattle are thousand to two thousand dollars a week, um, <laughs> and sometimes you have to bring a laptop. You know, so often they have some equipment, and they're run by often national groups that have, you know, that are really trying to cram knowledge in. They're not organized, and not to diss them, but they're not organized this way. Um, I know, you know, you you know this on the application that you don't want uh, finances to be a. Um, you know, you want to make it accessible and you have a lot of volunteers involved as well. And you're a nonprofit. How is it to pull all this, um, this financial part together? Because it feels like there's a lot of money out there that's interested in making sure 
that, you know, particularly people who are, again, who aren't men who have already have courses or have a pathway that seems well trod um, to learn about coding or at least be exposed to it, whatever the factor is. Um, there's a bunch of international groups that are doing it, but I, I thought it seems like the kind of thing where there's foundation and other money. How is it to pull together the, the fundraising side of this to make the program available to a wide range of kids from different backgrounds, different incomes? Um. It's, um, it is a challenge because we keep growing every year. So our needs keep going up kind of exponentially. We bought two sets of MacBook Pros this year and two sets of iPods and scanners to, in addition to the one we already owned because in order to cover the, the new sessions that we added this year, we, we needed you know, to triple our equipment investment, which was kind of fun to go to the Apple store and order um, <laughs> that many MacBook Pros. Um, but it's not fun after you start opening them up. I, I, I said on Twitter, all the excitement of unwrapping some Apple uh, devices is pretty much gone away for oh. me now. <laughs> me too. About, me right? too. It's sad, yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, we also we um, we have a central like headquarters staff myself and Gray and um, we have a position for an, an operations person that um, are not yet funded but we are working towards that so um, we we have learned a lot uh, we were very good at raising Indiegogo crowdfunding because our community is so great and they're also generous you know people tend to throw in like a hundred dollars instead of ten dollars for um a pledge which is awesome and and many have 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 contributed a lot more and that's mainly individuals um we have a sponsorship program now where um we have companies that give us uh, larger grants. They're not grants, they're sponsorships. So basically they, they give us funding. Um, and that's starting to put us in the league where we want to be, which is a sustainable organization, a professional organization that can grow um, and uh, keep, keep its staff because obviously people have to be paid eventually. Um, we, so this year we're we're working with um, it, it's it, it, fundraising. I think you know, and probably a lot of people know, is like a, a, an art and science unto itself. And it's not one that I've ever been involved with before. And except you know, as a board member at Rock and Roll Camp, and they they had a different um, model. But I have learned a lot and uh, we, you know, I, we actually have a, a, a wonderful nonprofit consultant who's been helping us um, as we go to the next stage. We're, we're basically, you know, we're leveling up this year. Uh, it's um, there. I think there are a lot of um, people, companies who are interested in sponsoring us, but we have to also be able to show them what we need and why and what our impact is. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of research now. We've done a, a study of all the girls who attended camp from 2013 to 2015 um, based on the surveys we've done with them. And it, we really do can point to a significant increase in their interest in going into technological 
careers after just a week at app camp and their confidence in, in doing technology goes up. Um, and the, and some of them even specifically say, I want to do, you know, I want to make apps now instead of, you know, that they want it to be, um, whatever career they came in wanting to be a vet or a, a, um, orthodontist. <laughs> That's interesting, mm-hmm. uh, what they, what they have in mind. So, so, uh, as we, um, as we learn better how to work with the community of um, potential sponsors, I think our um, financial viability will just continue to increase. Um, when and you know, just to go back to the to the the registration um, fees that we charge are not based on what it actually costs oh, to run yeah, the yeah. camp. <laughs> Yeah, $400, given the equipment and resources that you have, is yes. very inexpensive. Yeah, yes. it's not good. But we, we, we don't, we want it, we picked a number and sort of based on Portland pricing in, you know, in the beginning, and we wanted to keep all the camps at the same number. But um, we, we picked a number that was comparable to other types of camps, obviously not like the kinds you're talking about, Glenn, but the, uh, a camp you know, that's, uh, that has a, a lot of, um, you know, we're very labor intensive. Our, our adult to, um, kid ratio is, is very low because we need, you know, at least one person to each four girls just to manage their team. Plus we have the, we have gray or another lead developer. We have a design coach. We have an organizer who's doing all the the um, stuff in the background and taking care of you know the schedule and the food and the snacks. Snacks is very very important. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> something that is something we learned to adapt after like day one. Um, All the children I, are passed out from low, I, <laughs> low blood sugar. You're like, oh yeah, I their just, bodies are growing so crazily yeah. fast. I was just like, I knew that that I had already been told to have snacks, but I I didn't realize that. Um, they needed snacks more than once a day. <laughs> so it's incredible so how thinking, the, the parents must love you because you know there's one thing about going to a physical camp when they the intellectual thing you're just burning up all your brain is chewing through glucose or something yeah. right whatever and it's like you get you can you can bonk like you're on a 50 mile bike ride from thinking that hard you know yeah. and it's amazing to see that in practice and then at night I'm sure they go home and they pass out at eight o'clock they wake up like what I mean, I was what I was asleep yeah so. Uh... Anyway, that's um, so. The, yes, the, those and and the snacks are not cheap either. I mean, that's when we went through more snacks this summer than last <laughs> summer, and I don't know why. That, oh my God, that age group. I mean, I have I have an eleven year old boy, so that's sort of a different category, and it's very tall. Different category itself, but that age group, the amount of energy they burn is just Teenagers like they eat a lot. They're a furnace, and you could just yeah. be. Stuff in. Uh, let, let me ask without putting any pressure on, obviously, but all this discussion, it makes it sound like you have this incredibly committed group. You've got a, a, a kind of a period of time, the lives you're trying to capture. You have all these motivated girls coming out of it. This would seem to indicate that you're going to have another tier at some point too. So this is the introductory part and that you'll have more over time. I know you want to expand geographically, but is that part of the thinking? It sounds, I hear a little of the like, how do you support these girls as they as they age further, or, or is that going to be part of your mission? Uh, we're, there are definitely plans to expand the curriculum. Um, this summer we tested, so we've been bringing back um, campers as interns. Oh, cool. 
And uh, this this summer we tested bringing back one of our first campers um, as a uh, as a project team manager. So she led a group of four oh, girls. So great. Yeah, it was rad, um, and it worked out super well. So um, in addition to adding uh, additional sets of curriculum and additional like you know camps where they're programming different stuff. Um, we're also looking at bringing the previous attendees back um, to continue contributing uh, to what we do at camp. That is fantastic. Let me ask uh, another question that's sort of about about that too is uh, um, I, I'll just state this bluntly. You know, I'm a cis male. I don't think until I until a few years ago on tw- and via Twitter that I understood quite the range of human expression of identity. You know, I thought I did. I thought I was raised in a way of grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Um, I thought I understood it and I didn't. And I feel like this has been a great revelation for myself and a lot of other people, just the, and this is between close, you know, some very dear close friends of mine, family, uh, that I've understood better about this. And so when I read your inclusiveness statement for mentors and your discussion of this, my heart like opens up even further where I'm like, you know, some, there's a, a some, you know, varying opinion about, about aspects of this, but your policy is very, inclusive so it's not uh people identify as girls or or anything like that it's 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 a whole range of people how do you i guess how do you navigate that with parents with the girls that come where you provide a space for uh you know people who identify in all these different ways it seems like a very complicated thing to do at that time of life for kids too i'm just curious how this affects the overall um experience and nature of what you're doing I mean, it's surprisingly simple with kids. Uh, you tell them your pronouns, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> that's like, awesome. it's not complicated for the kids. This is the beautiful so part. Great. Like, we're socialized to believe that it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so at camp, it's really not been a thing. Um, but part of the, it, it was something that we always believed in, um, and the desire to come out and actually like post it as a policy on our website. And then at camp, we also talk about pronouns. Um, we don't get into whole like nuanced definitions of gender. We just have right. the kids when they come in. Uh, one of the first things that we do in one of the icebreakers is everybody, you know, just says what their pronouns are. Um, but part of the reason why all of that came to the forefront is I came out as transgender about a year ago and um, began the, the steps to transition. Um, and that brought up a whole lot of conversations about, um, you know, what does that mean about camp? And we should probably talk about like those things that, you know, we all believe that maybe hadn't been explicitly stated. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like I was still this 12 year old girl that needed community and needed somebody to tell me that I could do it and needed people to believe in me and needed role models. And for me, even going through the process of transitioning and changing my pronouns and things like that, um, it's vitally important to be a visible role model and a visible example that there are a million different ways for all of us to grow up and be who we need to be, and there's no one right way to do that. It must be fantastic for girls who don't fit, or sorry, the people who attend, all the kids who don't necessarily feel like they fit into a... um I don't know if it comes up in the structure of the camp, but where they arrive and they're like, oh, I can be the person I want to be. And that, that's true, I think, for cisgender girls who are often told how to behave, but but anybody across any spectrum where you're just accepted. I, I mean, do you get to see that in practice or is the focus already so inclusive when they arrive, the experience is already, um, they're already prepared for that experience? 
Um, it's definitely come out in like the little things that the kids have said, like going through camp. Um, they're just like comments and things. Um, it also comes out in the surveys that we give them at the end of the week. We ask them things about what they did and didn't like about camp, what their favorite parts were. And by and large, in addition to them, you know, saying that their confidence in technology increased and that their interest in going into a tech related field increased by like market percentages. Um, the other resounding feedback that we get is they felt safe. They felt like they had oh, community, yay. that it was the first place that they didn't feel like they were going to be bullied or criticized for just being themselves. That's so great. I admit there are tears in my eyes because boy, is that, I mean, that's such a huge thing. It's such a huge thing to say, to be able to, to provide a space in which people, I mean, this is my critique of how safe space is discussed online is it's criticized as a tool of weakness, which is not, as you all know, is that it's like it's the fact it's a place where people can be themselves, a place of strength, not a place in which you're hiding from the world, a place in which you get to expose yourself and you're the most vulnerable. And I feel like the misrepresentation of that is one of the biggest, you know, things that is a is a cultural force that keeps people from being accepted. Exactly. Um, well, so all that said. Uh, How can what? we help? Yes. <laughs> what can we do besides talking to you? If like people listening part. have been as moved as I have, um, how can we support you guys and help you, you know, bring this to more kids? Um, well, we we really do appreciate the financial support we've gotten from our community and from uh, people who, who get what we're trying to do. So. If you, um, if your listeners would like to support us with contributions, they can do that on our website, uh, which is appcamp4girls.com, and the four is the num- numeral four, so appcamp4girls.com. Um, that would be awesome. Uh, we are also looking for um, women and non-traditional people to um, organize camps in other locations. Ooh. So if someone is interested in that, they can get it. In, in, uh, they can also on our website is a is a form for um, indicating your your interest in volunteering and where you are. Um, anybody who's interested in volunteering that would be awesome. But a location um, really needs an organizer to get started. And um, or if you work at a company that supports. Uh, initiatives to bring more diversity to tech or other industries and you'd like to help promote us to that company uh, that would be a big help for us as well that's great and should note also that uh, i think the majority of listeners this podcast are men and there are plenty of things men can do to help uh with it as well transporting equipment picking up food helping to find volunteers (laughs) who fit the inclusiveness uh discussion helping to find sponsors hosting meetups a lot of stuff you can do too to try to uh Get all these talent. I mean, a encourage young people, and b get all these talented people who are not currently being included in, uh, for whatever how many thousands of reasons there are, uh, are underrepresented. This is a wonderful trend too. I'm seeing like XOXO, another Portland-based uh, event. Uh, they've worked in after having some really terrible uh, gender and uh, people of color attendee issues um, in terms of numbers, they worked to try to restructure what they asked people about who they were, and it changed things year over year. And I think every small change that's made helps, so you can be part of that whatever part of this situation you're in if you want more talented people to have more opportunities in life. It's a great thing to do. So, Gray, Jean, thank you so much for sharing what you're doing. 
Yeah, thank you so much for being here and just thank you for being you and doing what you're doing. You guys are making the world a better place. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having <laughs> thanks. us. Yeah, thanks. It was really great talking with you too. It's a pleasure. And Susie, great to talk to you as always. We'll be back yep. with uh, some more news. I assume there'll be news next week. Uh, Absolutely. We'll <laughs> always find some news. And uh, I've been Glenn Fleischman and this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 519 for August 3rd, 2016. And, you know, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to macworld.com, of course, and find the podcast entry. Send us email, podcast at macworld.com, or search for Susie Oaks, O-C-H-S, or Glenn F. on Twitter, and you will find us. Talk to us. Tell us what you think. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week.